electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer and David Faber. Futures getting a bounce here as we await the GOP counteroffer on infrastructure. Uh, we got solid revisions on Q1 GDP. Earnings from Snowflake and NVIDIA and jobless claims inching closer to a three-handle at 406000 That's where our roadmap begins. Stocks take a leg higher here on some economic optimism and reports that the White House will propose a $6 trillion budget on Friday. Plus, Big Oil's bad day. Exxon Delta stunning defeat in its activist challenge from engine number one. And Royal Dutch Shell also drastically ordered to drastically shrink its emissions by a court. Elizabeth Warren, well, she sparred with Jamie Dimon yesterday. This is Wall Street's big six bank CEOs get grilled about profits and their priorities. Carl. All right, guys, the, Jim, you had so much to work with last night between Snowflake and Okta and Workday and some of the retailers. What, what's interesting this morning? I think that uh, we had some incredible numbers from companies that did major seven figure deals over Zoom. All these people are going to travel to see clients next quarter. The numbers you see now are so, I'd say, uh, misleading versus what these companies are going to do. Even the last month, the cadence of their quarters was rather remarkable. David, I know we discuss often people going to see people or not, but the CEOs are going. Mm -hmm. Frank Slootman is basically moving to Europe in order to be able to nail down a business that was up 200 percent. Uh, and Neil Bushry, whom you know well, yes. he is no. seeing major customers. They both have conferences where people are going to virtual, but virtual is at its end. So, uh, all right. So is the takeaway more that you're giving us here that virtual is at its end and that's a good thing for business travel? Or is it more specific to the businesses themselves? Oh, I, I don't it's know not as though they have been closing deals. No, They've I, been closing plenty of deals virtually. Right. But I think that they do feel that if you want a big multi-year deal, it, it, it's got to be face to face and it's kind of joyous. I mean, I, I think that what's what I didn't account on, David, mm-hmm. were the CEOs who were anxious to get on the road. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so I think it's very exciting. And, Carl, when I look at the numbers, I know there are many people who would say, you know what, I got to sell Snowflake. They didn't guide up enough. And Workday, what was that? That's a, really not that good. It's, it's the same old growth. A third month in Workday is extraordinary. And they're going to do some huge business this quarter. And Slootman, I mean, people who want to sell Slootman, you know, look, that, that's, he is the biggest, most aggressive player with a product. If you read his book, you'll know. And his book is a short read with a product that puts everything to shame other than what he has. He has far more orders than he knows what to do with. It's literally one of those. He cannot handle all the business. People want to sell the stock. Fine. But a guy who can't handle all the business, Carl, is a guy I want to bet with. 
Yep. Uh, you talked about him with Becky a few moments ago, and both of those companies that you mentioned, Jim, uh, did raise the guide but are modestly down pre-market. You talked to Slootman last night about the message to investors and the fact that, in his words, it's not going to be a, a short-term journey. Take a listen to this. Our business is going to conduct itself really over you know considerable long periods of time. And it's sort of a message to investors is to, uh, you know, to really understand, uh, you know, we're signing on here for a journey that is, you know, five to 10 years. And uh, it, it's not an overnight, you know, throwing a quick switch and, and, and everything is great. These are these are big, big changes that we're, we are experiencing in the marketplace. And we're just super happy to be in the middle of that and being an enabler of that. Jim, you know, the valuations are on the high side of, of its peers. You don't seem to mind that. Fastest growing large cap company. In America, 110 percent growth, 206 uh, percent for certain products. If you go into the uh, RPO, it's a particular measure that, that discussed backlog. He has one point four billion. It's possible that he may be the after sales force, the fastest to 10 to 5 billion, maybe 10 billion. Now, the key thing, it's not a SaaS model. It's a minute model. So if you are a small to medium sized company and you want access to data in the cloud, you just charge by the minute. Now, no one else is doing that. Uh, he has a, a, a huge number of north of 100. He's got these 100 million yeah. customers already. Yeah. And, and he's out of nowhere. Now, he's out of nowhere. The company's been in business for a while. Uh, but he has a June 9 to 10th summit that's uh, <clears throat> coming up. And that's when you're going to hear all the things that people wish they had but, uh, not sold for. But, Jim, to, to Carl's point, it is still a high multiple stock, both on earnings and on revenues, as we know. It's been a lot higher than this. But the trade that at least some are pursuing right now in case inflation does continue and is not transitory is to look for, you know, almost look for some of the fang names that have been uh, that have multiples that make them very cheap, a la Facebook or even Alphabet and short names like this. Because in that kind of an environment, if, in fact, you are not correct and inflation is not uh, or is here to stay, these are stocks that are not necessarily going to be bought. Um, I will agree with you if bonds suddenly reflect that. Okay. I mean, one of the things that I think is just surprising that has kept me in the transitory camp is is bonds are not reflecting the fact I went over with my manager last night at Bar Bar San Miguel Longshoreman. Fingerling potatoes. I would say, what the heck is with fingerling potatoes? Well, they've doubled in a year. Why are we pay- it doubled? OK, a lot a lot of our just the basic corn, all the the soy, the products that restaurants use are all up 80 to 100 percent. Oh, OK. But that be- but because that's not reflected in the 10 year yield, you're not concerned precisely for the market. Precisely. OK. Uh, now, it is something that galls people who are much smarter than I am. They keep saying, why has that <laughs> not moved? Carl, as long as it doesn't move, then these stocks will have a little bit of retreat as the hedge funds of what Snowflake expecting Frank Slootman to do what he would never do, which says, listen, I'm taking up big. Workday would never do that. Salesforce tonight on the show. I doubt they'll do that. But because of fingerling potatoes, are you going to sell Frank Slootman? <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> is that what people are doing? Wow, these fingerlings are high. We got to get rid of Snowflake. No, it's not working. Uh, Tenure, interest rates go higher, forget Snowflake, at least for now. David, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Carl? Well, at 161, Jim, uh, your point is is well heard. Uh, By the way, we're getting a couple different headlines. One is that GM is restarting production on some plants that were closed 
due to chip shortages. And now we have a Republican counteroffer on infrastructure. Let's get to our Elon Moy. Hey, Elon. Hi, Carl. That's right. Republican senators are now releasing their counteroffer to President Biden's infrastructure proposal. And the amount that Republicans are now willing to accept is $928 billion. That's the size of their latest offer. And that includes an additional $200 billion for your core infrastructure like roads and bridges. That's higher than the previous GOP proposal, about $300 billion for that amount. It also includes $4 billion for electric vehicles. The new GOP proposal also includes more money for water infrastructure, a $20 billion infrastructure financing facility. But even at $928 billion overall, that is still significantly smaller than the $1.7 trillion that President Biden has uh, suggested as the number he is willing to hit in these bipartisan negotiations. So we will be hearing from uh, GOP senators any moment now as they unveil this proposal. Certainly, they say this is a sign that they are willing to compromise and work together uh, to come to common ground on what should be a bipartisan issue. Guys. Elon, uh, one of those senators, of course, we'll hear from ourselves uh, in our 10 a.m. hour. We'll talk to Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell about this proposal. Uh, Lots to talk with the leader about, Elon. In the meantime, I guess we can assume that this will not touch the 2017 tax law. No, that's something that Republicans have made clear is a red line. Uh, What I have been told is that some of the ways they plan to pay for this, not outlined in the briefing materials that we got, uh, but some of the ways they plan to pay for this is by using repurposed COVID funds. There's also some debate over whether or not to use um, enhanced IRS enforcement, close that tax gap as a way to pay for this. Um, All of those things are currently being discussed because that is, of course, the thorniest issue in these negotiations. Elon, thank you for uh, for the news on that. We've been waiting for that for a long time. Remarkable that uh, it did not leak ahead of time. But as 905, Jim, they said it would come. And there it is. Yeah, I, I don't know what's happening. I mean, there is disorganization down there, but I am so glad that you have the interview. I know there'll be people who say it's going to be boilerplate, but I've got to tell you, Carl, I think you will make news at the 10 o'clock hour. I think there's something afoot that this thing came out so early. Uh, I'm not as negative because I think it's too embarrassing for the Republicans to go against infrastructure at this point by being lowball. Yep. Mitch McConnell joining us at uh, 10 a.m. Looking forward to that uh, interview, of course, uh, with him. Guys, I wanted to get to another very big story that we're, of course, following this morning. And I know you agree with me, Jim, which is uh, ExxonMobil and its fight uh, uh, against that activist investor led by activist investors, led by Engine One, including, of course, Calster's. Uh, and the fact that at this uh, moment, it appears at least two and frankly, from what I'm hearing, likely three new directors will have been elected by uh, ExxonMobil's uh, shareholders to its board of directors. Uh, a stinging defeat for the company, of course. Many want to call it a watershed moment for the ESG movement. Uh, I won't dispute that, but you do have to point out that there are things that are singular to Exxon that that. You also have to include when you when you say something like that, namely, Jim, and you know this, this is a company that for years really had no interest in what its shareholders were saying. None. They're making their decisions based on their 10, 20, 30 year plans, investing their money in the likes of Rex Tillerson or Lee Raymond. Eh, you know, you can tell us whatever you want, but we're not necessarily listening. So you are talking about a, a, a company uh, which, frankly, many investors I've spoken to would term, have termed arrogant. Now, that has not been the case 
under relatively new CEO Darren Woods. But that may also have been a part of this. A number of missteps on ExxonMobil's part, too, in terms of just how they approached all of this. The activist uh, at D.E. Shaw, of course, they chose to settle with. They put two new directors on the board. They thought this was done. They never expected that Engine One would be able to mount this kind of a campaign. Let's not forget, they own no stock. Let's call it that 0.02%. I mean, nothing. They spent 30 million bucks and they were able to get what very likely may end up being three directors. And that makes this watershed moment. That does make people question whether, in fact, the index funds, which proved so important in so many of these battles, given how much time they have spent courting new investors with an ESG mantra to a certain extent, are now going to be, uh, well, much more of a significant vote when it comes to ESG being on the agenda in certain certain proxy fights. But again, I do, Jim, want to come back to reminding people that Exxon is its its, its own entity. And, and it's not clear that were it another company, you could argue that it would have been the same outcome, even if it had been an ESG versus uh, more of an ESG uh, 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 agenda versus a, well, they say they're ESG as well, but a less ESG agenda. Had <laughs> the, the stock done better, would the public have voted with Darren, and then maybe more important, when I look at the people, uh, these are people that they, by the way, who they presented by Engine One. These these are really, I'd say, outstanding people. Now, Gregory Goff, a long, long uh, history in the energy industry. Well, why would he want to? I think these are these are two directors that I think the board is going to be happy to onboard and, and welcome to a certain extent. But it does bring up a lot of questions. Again, they're going to have had potentially as many as five new directors added over this period of time. Remember early in the week, we pointed out that they, in a shareholder letter, said they would appoint two new directors over the next 12 months, one with energy experience, one with experience in climate transition, for example. I, uh, based on my reporting, I think that was part of what they believed was an agreement with a number of the significant index funds, Jim. Uh, I think uh, Vanguard and, and either BlackRock or State Street to for them to vote in favor of Exxon. Right. And, it, and then they changed their mind. Uh, and, you know, you, they did not get the support they thought was there from the index funds. They still almost won. So they they still had a, a, a great amount of support from retail. The index funds here, acting as they did and voting as they did, is an important moment. Does it mean that ESG will be used as more of a club by any other activist or that perhaps companies will be forced to settle or think it's better to settle as opposed to going to a full proxy fight? Perhaps. But again, you know Exxon well for many years. I do. And, and, it, and I don't want to, you know, you do want to make sure people understand it. It does have something to do with the history of the company. They were well. very late with the charm offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't seem to understand that the media must be addressed in a more formal way. David, who will be on the nominating committee? Because I have to question, I have to question the staying power of, of Darren Wood. Well, that, listen, that's right to do that. I asked him yesterday whether, in fact, it, uh, because Mr. Woods did join me for a brief interview yesterday at around three o'clock, uh, I asked him whether it was a rebuke of his leadership. Um, here's sort of what he had to say overall about his shareholder base. With over three million, almost three million uh, shareholders, it's not surprising. We've got a pretty wide range of views that were expressed. Uh, many uh, supported the plans that we've put out, the, uh, the work that we're doing to improve the uh, earnings and cash flow capacity of our business, as well as the work we're doing to help advance the company to a lower carbon future. And today we heard uh, some of the institutional shareholders communicating a desire for ExxonMobil to, to further these efforts. One of the questions, of course, will be how much further do they go? And by the way, again, you know, Carl mentioned Shell. 
uh, and that and that court case there. So and even Chevron, there's a lot of questions here, but it's certainly a, a, an important moment for the ESG movement. Mike Worth from Chevron distinguished himself very early from Darren Woods in terms of willing to sit down and ask, not a listening tour so much as like, help, I want to do the right thing. I've got a, a corporate governance conference coming up. It's too early to really talk about, but I reached out to Mike because Mike is a, a person who's a, who basically is just saying, I know we're on the wrong side of history. Help us get to be on the right side of history. Uh, and Exxon, just like John D. Rockefeller, felt there was no history other than their own. Yeah. Carl, when it comes to the actual vote, it could still be a while till we get the final final tally. In fact, as many as two weeks, I think, you know, an inspector needs to look at it. But you will get a preliminary vote total from Exxon itself as early as Monday. I think they they have to give us one. And again, based on my reporting, it may well show that that third director, at least in the preliminary, has enough votes to be added as well. I think it's Mr. Karsner is the name. Will Mr. Weldon perhaps not be on the board? I don't know. I don't know. Why is there such a mystery about this? Well, the vote's very close. Okay. The vote's very close. Uh, and that's really why. You know, remember P&G? That went on for quite right. some time. That Carl, fight with Nelson Peltz. Uh, I, I, uh, th- this occasionally does happen. But uh, again, Carl, it was very much unexpected. I think we can all say that, uh, that, that this very small activist with virtually no economic interest in a giant company would be able to actually effectuate the change that it has. And so... It will be taken as a signal by many other companies. Why did they not know that Calsters would be in there? Why did Darren Woods not think of Calsters, who was so obviously siding with Engine 1? Is it because no one had ever heard of Engine 1? That it seemed like it was just some sort of clubhouse? They thought they had the support, certainly, of many of their shareholders and the institutions. They had already effected change on the board with the settlement they made with the Esau. I'm shocked about this whole thing. I, I am absolutely shocked. And I I do believe there'll be some people who come off the board who, frankly, uh, were, let's say, not as important. David, this is revolutionary. Carl. Yeah, it was a landmark day, guys, between Exxon and Shell and Chevron and the Ford day, uh, by the way. We got an upgrade of Ford over at RBC. We'll talk about that call regarding the F-150 Lightning. In the meantime, uh, the Nasdaq needs 225 points to go positive for May. We'll see if we can make any progress in that front. We're back in a moment. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. You and your colleagues come in today to talk about how you stepped up and took care of customers during the pandemic, and it's a bunch of baloney. In fact, it's about $4 billion worth of baloney, but you can fix that right now. Mr. Diamond, will you commit right now to refund $1.5 billion you took from consumers during the pandemic? No. Right now? No. No. That's right. Over the past year, you could have passed on the breaks that you got from the Fed to your customers, but you didn't do it. Everybody else here, those other three bankers, will any of you agree to refund the overdraft fees that you collected? I didn't think so. Uh, Senator Warren with Jamie Dimon yesterday, one of the more uh, watched exchanges in that hearing, Jim. It was remarkable, regardless of what you think about overdrafts, um, the selection of topics they chose to address versus the ones they chose to ignore. Look, if you read the different testimonies uh, of of the chieftains, you would see how much they did uh, with the community overall. Uh, in terms of cutting people breaks, I know that there were uh, the breaks were really being done through PPP, trying to get that through. I don't necessarily think they did the best, but they were out there. Uh, but you know what, David? There is always something that a bank does that is easy to pin down. And I know that banks tried in many cases to give you uh, during the crash, the Great Recession, some breaks. Uh, this was not necessarily on the list of Things that, you know, let's let's suspend overdrafts. That's but uh, Senator Warren can always find something that they've done wrong. Always and do a good job prosecuting it. Very good. Although Jamie Dimon, for his to his credit, said no. No, it's very simple. Wasn't, yeah, there was he's this, the only one who actually just will, will, will always no. answer with a yes or no. And he's the one that always also about unions. But he, he asked, comes back. Some, from, another senator asked. That, but has he not been the um, star of any one of these asked. star chambers? Yeah, he is. Yeah. You know why? Why? He's thought it through and he's not afraid and he doesn't play for dinner. Right. Right. And there is a look at uh, J.P. Morgan from the pandemic. On. Uh, I don't think there'll be a I don't think engine one's against them. No. See, because they made a lot of money for people, too. They did. They did. It does matter. Without a doubt, uh, it matters. What um, is their carbon footprint, though? Yeah, it's fairly large. Listen, I mean, back to that earlier conversation, you do wonder, though, Jim, if, you know, again, you, some investor comes along and says, I'm going to spend $40 million to buy a stake in Company X, or, uh, and I want them to stop, you know, I want McDonald's to stop using cows. No, stop using <laughs> like, any sort of paper, uh, pack, yeah. too much packaging. And it's an ESG, I mean, do they actually get a, a real hearing? Well, they, they have they to cover now. themselves by saying they got a good deal with Ethan Brown at Beyond Meat, which yeah. I'm surprised that our friends at Wall Street Bets have not taken me up yet and shorted. They're so supportive of everything I do. I think they may have to go for it. Ethan Brown. Ethan Brown, 22% short position. Do they have the capital beyond going for, after AMC and you, GameStop? You, I know you want to add it to that list, don't you? Well, I just think that they and I have, have come to a rapprochement. They want to hang me, and I prefer not to be hung. But there's something in between. Guys, we'll get the opening bell in about seven minutes. And don't forget, uh, another half hour until our interview with the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell as we get this Republican counteroffer on infrastructure. Don't go away. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Time now for a mad dash, and we'll also count you down to an opening bell. Instead of saying the company's name, I'll do what you always do, and I'll just call it by the guy who runs it, Jensen, Jensen. Wong. Jensen Wong is a genius. He yes, is you've mentioned Nvidia. that. He is Nvidia. I spoke to them again last night. Here's here's what you need to know, David. And I'm going to go right into your wheelhouse, please. Arm deal set to close early 2022. I heard that. Uh, that the people in in uh, the UK, David, they're not against the actual formation. They want to be sure that the jobs stay. I got three words for you about why I'm confident this deal is going to, to work. Research, research, and research. The research is going to be kept there. And that's going to provide myriad jobs, much more than they currently So you're, have. I mean, you, you, you have shared, I think, the broader concern that many have had about their ability to actually get regulatory approval in both the U.K. and China. But you right. seem to be changing your views based, at least I would assume, on what you're hearing from the company. Well, yes. I mean, it's pretty clear that um, the goal is to put as many people in the U.K. who are smart, uh, really not change that at all other than to make it so more people are hired. I, uh, Arm can't hire the people that NVIDIA can. NVIDIA is the largest semiconductor company has we have. Deep pockets to be able uh, to by the way, these stories about shortage of chips, uh, they're just false. Goes to, let's, can we just take that off the narrative? That's just not true. I got that completely killed this morning. Remember, they have Amazon, Google, Microsoft. Now, people have to understand they have inference. Inference means that Amazon knows. When you ever see that Amazon once uh, pushes something to you that you like, like, you, you go to Amazon and yes, you say, course. I really like... Um, because you like this, you might want that. Yes. Well, that's right. inference. Yes. That's NVIDIA, okay? And they have a Mercedes-Benz car that's going to come out next year that, again, I, I do think as much as I say you should buy Tesla, it's, it's going to be packed with NVIDIA. And you'll be talking to your car all you want, <laughs> and your car will understand you and probably correct your English as far as I know. That would be actually very helpful. Um, what from the call stood out to you? Was it that, uh, you know, the stock, again, no, doesn't no. appear to be poised to do much of it, anything it, this morning, despite, of course, what was a strong call? I, uh, look, what about look, guidance? Look, they, the, the gaming is, oh, the, the guidance is fine. The gaming is good. Uh, and the business in gaming is just great. But what they really emphasize is that hyperscale demand is strengthening. Okay. Why is that important? Because there's another man, Pat Gelsinger from Intel, who talked about how that's weakening. Well, David... Either they're, um, one, one of these two sides is wrong, and the side I will say is wrong is Intel. Still, not to, uh, still more dependent on, on crypto than we, than, than no, we might believe? No, they managed to kind of change the crypto cards, they make them so they're different from gaming cards, so they have a better handle on things. They're not stressing Ethereum. They happen to make a lot of money on it, but they're, they're stressing gaming cards and latency. Uh, David, once again, you read the conference call, all it is is just enlightening. I didn't go to Stanford Business School, and it hurts me in terms of my ability to understand that. David, I turned down uh, Stanford. It was my backup school. Well, it was a different time. Yeah, and now I know that that was completely wrong. That's all right. You've done fine. Thank you. Carl, I know we had an opening bell there. 
He has. Yeah. He's done great. There's the opening bell at the big board today uh, celebrating an IPO. It's uh, Scrubs Maker uh, Figs. We're going to talk to the co-CEOs a little more than an hour at the NASDAQ. It is the Fresh Air Fund. Uh, Jim, you mentioned cars and this upgrade of uh, Ford over at RBC is getting some attention. Um, more confidence, they say, in the 8% uh, margin number uh, for 2023. Uh, F-150, a watershed moment, they say, for Ford and the industry especially when you start adding on the features like backup power, which we talked about earlier in the week. Yeah, well, uh, Jim Farley has said very, uh, very clearly to me that uh, he will be the dominant player in EV trucks. Now, he knows that there's someone else who's in EV trucks, the Cybertruck of Elon Musk. And he has no intention of letting that man come in unscathed. He wants nothing more than to trounce Musk. Now, did I, have to, did I have to pry that out of them? Oh, why the hell not? But there is no doubt about it, David, that this is a very different Ford. The one, remember the Ford that was committed to losing money everywhere? Remember the Ford that was at the mercy I, of I the world? I remember all of it, Jim. And as I pointed out to Go our on. viewers, you have been very positive on this stock for quite some time. So if Since Farley have, came in? People have followed your advice on it and bought the stock. They've done quite well. But I would note that it's gone almost parabolic in the last few sessions. Jim Farley's almost that, parabolic. That doesn't give you any concern at all? No, it is, because if they came out and said what Deere said about commodity prices going up, and that's not fingerling potatoes, that's coal rolled, uh, I think that you would say, all right, so I let, you let it cool off. Uh, but Farley's a different kind of guy. Uh, he's a car guy. Remember, I told you that that's not been the case. He loves cars themselves. He likes to race cars. Carl, the thing that's most exciting about Jim Farley is he took the job with an understanding from Bill Ford that it was going to be his airplane or his car. And, you know, when he thinks of uh, <laughs> when he thinks of something, he thinks of he's a little bit like you, Carl, in terms of his uh, his knowledge, his cultural knowledge. Ford versus Ferrari, and this time Ferrari does not win. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a good way to put it. That's about a five-year high on, on Ford this morning, Jim. It was a $4 stock uh, last spring, and as you can see uh, this morning, uh, above 14. You mentioned airplanes. Uh, Boeing's going to lead the Dow here at the Open, Jim. I don't know if this is related to some of that production scheduling uh, forecast out of Airbus which was remarkable. I think Airbus was up 6% in Europe this morning. I totally. I mean, Phil came in. Phil knows more than anyone in the business, including, I think, the, the Boeing people, and has been able to show that Airbus had some great orders. Uh, I continue to try to get at Boeing did have another still FAA thing, but it was older. I continue to try to go after Boeing to talk about all the new airlines that are being formed and how maybe they are candidates for the 737. Uh, Boeing a little opaque. I defer to my colleague, Phil, who probably has the real skinny, uh, although I will do my best, David, to get it because Boeing is such an important part of our economy. Well, Two point five million jobs. Well, yeah, I mean, last week you told us those um, production numbers that were being reported by another uh, news organization might not have been accurate. They got the stock going, though, and it hasn't really looked back. It, it, it have not been able to confirm it at all. Uh, I went directly to as high as you can get and was not able to confirm it. Um, I would also say that anyone's buying it off the China talks uh, is probably um, ill-advised. The China talks that are uh, they're two track. One is with China trade representative from us and the others with the State Department. And I just think things are far more. Uh, let's say the Tinder uh, is, is liable to go up this versus the Navarro Trump era where it was about business. Davis, David, this is about Davis. This is about civil rights. And the Democrats are 
you know, they haven't even gotten to pollution yet. They were talking about what is the carbon footprint? I mean, those guys are bigfoot when it comes to carbon footprint, but they get away with it. So there are people in the administration who I think are more hawkish uh, against China than than Trump, certainly. Stocks had almost 10 percent move in a week. Why not? There's great demand for their planes. There is, but you're just telling me on the China front, while things might not be as they, rosy. China's as important because China needs have. planes. They cut off their nose to spite their face. But a lot of the big airline companies are saying, if we don't move soon, we're going to not get that deal that Gary Kelly got. And Gary Kelly is the master. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. 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 Well, uh, <laughs> Carl, help okay. me out here. Okay. I'm agreeing with you. Know what? I'm going I to work. Carl, I'm supposed to be off tomorrow. You know what? I've decided I'm going to work because I'm going to get better than an okay. <laughs> well, I, with TV like that, how can you go wrong? Okay, 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 okay. Um, guys, G, uh, GM, we were talking about Ford a moment ago. Uh, GM also hired Jim. I don't know if it's related to this news flash that they are reopening some of those plants, but I wonder if you think that's further evidence that the chip shortage, which you've talked about a lot, uh, being transitory, at least in the medium term, is actually is actually getting borne out. It is. Uh, things are getting better in chip world. Same for Ford. Uh, this issue and even Chuck Robbins, who was talking about being 2022, he came on Mad Money recently, CEO of Cisco, talking about being uh, uh, really that we're at the peak right now and that 2021 could be a year uh, where we actually see um, a break in this. And uh, what I want to emphasize, just so people know, is, is that if they get the chips, it is an absolute home run for these companies, especially, you know, Mary Barra really needs them. I I cannot believe help. You know, Carl, I want to the semiconductor business, the software business, the communications business. So much business is being done right now. And uh, I think that it's we we focus too much on the chip shortage because they're going to solve it. The Japanese fire uh, fire that took out the big chip factory there. That's going away. No one wants to see Gina Raimondo, the uh, Secretary of Commerce, go in and say, you give us our chips, our huddled masses learning to make cars. You don't want that. No, although you continue (laughs) to be concerned about Taiwan. Very concerned. Well, and China again, back to China. It takes up a good part of your brain concerned about China. I woke up this morning and and I said, what happens if China just calls Taiwan semi? And says, I know you are our brethren. Yes. We don't like how the Asians are being treated in America. Why don't you side with us? Um, I don't know how much of your brain these days is occupied with SPACs. I'm probably very little, Jim. But I did want to mention, because I was looking through Chamath Palahapatiya's uh, annual letter yeah. to supporters and stakeholders of social capital. It's interesting, mm-hmm. of course. He's had very good performance, at least according to his numbers. But I did notice he only uses a gross IRR. So take a look gross at the CNBC SPAC. Remember, when you were at Rana Hedge Fund, wasn't the net what was important? Would you just report gross numbers? If I did gross, um, do you think that some – I can name a series of large investors who were with me. Yeah. And they would pull out they the would, first right? date. Of yeah. course, because that would be dissembling yes. in their eyes. By the way, this is only through 2020. But I pointed out because he is one of the certainly most important proponents of SPACs out there talking about how they've outperformed. And they did through the end of 2020. Oh, it was fun You can see what's happened to them since. Many of them down uh, dramatically, although space has come back a lot, as you know, Virgin Galactic. But you can see sort of where things stand. And don't forget that Equinox deal still out there, still waiting for that. Supposedly going to be partnered with right. Chamathon for his next SPAC deal. But uh, yeah, gross was an odd choice, I thought, 
Where's the net number? Just yeah, give we us the go, net number. We have to go away. That's what specs. matters to your investors. Yeah, Gary Gensler has got to go away because the projections. Uh, I've yet to meet, other than Dave Cody, who, Vertiv, I've yet to meet a, a, a SPAC that made the projections. I mean, the projections were to lure people in. Right. Uh, well, but the projections are 2026 anyhow. Were you, which movie were you in, Margin Call or Boiler Room? I think Margin Call, maybe. Okay. Well, those Thanks. are... Not sure. Well, between Margin Call and Boiler Room, you really yeah. got the whole SPAC. Yeah. You got the whole SPAC thing going, don't you? There was another one I was in. Yeah, I forget. Maybe it wasn't even either one of those. It was the Richard Gere one. I don't remember. I don't know. You were so know. good in Margin Call. You were on an airplane. I, I wasn't in Margin Call. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Wall Street? Wall Street 2? <laughs> I was you in were both in, of those. You, I was you were in, in Jeopardy. I was, and I was in Wall Street 2. Yeah. Uh, Carl, I know we got to get to Rick. At least yeah. I think we do. Um, nothing beats Iron Man, though, by the way. Iron, my kids still talk about Jim in Iron Man. Dow's up 252. Uh, let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Good morning, guys. Well, an intraday of tens gives you a lot of information. You know, as we progressed, we had two pops in yield. First was when Europe opened, about 3 a.m. Eastern uh, time. You see that on the left side. But look at the way we went into the 8.30 Eastern data. And many, of course, were paying particularly close attention to the pricing components of GDP. Because once the data was released, uh, it, it looked as though we peaked. And it's going to be very important for the rest of the session to pay attention to whether that almost 160 kind of two level, 161 and a half peak is going to hold or not, especially considering we have a seven-year note auction today, and, and that will be important. Look at a one week of tens. The way we dropped into Tuesday's one-month low closing yield and just came right out of the box once again with the upside, we want to see which side of that important pivot at 160 we close at. I mentioned the auction today for good reason. Uh, yesterday's five-year uh, went off at 0.788. Right now, the yield is 0.82, higher yield, lower price. If you participate in that auction, you are now holding a loss. And that will have some significance to today's seven-year because the argument, of course, was there was no concession uh, because we had already seen such a big rally going in the auction that proved to be maybe the wrong move buying in. Now, as you look at that month-to-date of fives, you can see that 0.77 double bottom may hold. That's a good one to pay attention to for the rest of the curve. Finally, year-to-date dollar index, just like treasuries. Tuesday was a big day. It looks like the dollar index is struggling to try to bump up off that four-and-a-half-month low. But very, very small buying coming in, and all the pressure seems to be on the dollar globally as other currencies, especially European currencies, pound and euro, seem to be gaining investor preference. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much. Rick Santelli. When we come back, we'll talk to the CEO of Medtronic, reporting results with an EPS beat, revenue ahead. Got a div hike in there as we get a rebound of medical procedures in this country as the pandemic recedes. Uh, Dow's up 250 plus, though. We're back in a moment. Medtronic posting a beat on both the top and bottom lines, but there's much more to this and also, of course, gave you a dividend of 9% increase. By the way, they are just one of the great dividend aristocrats. Joining us now is Medtronic Chairman CEO Jeffrey Martha, who is upending everything. Jeffrey, it is great to have you on Squawk on the Street. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here, especially on a day when we uh, we uh, capped off a really good year, as you mentioned, with a, a strong beat on uh, top line and bottom line, and then you know raising our guidance going into our next fiscal year on revenue. Uh, 
based on the confidence of uh, uh, the recovery and our, our R&D pipeline. Well, I was going to say your, your R&D pipeline, for, including tapping the potential of robotic-assisted surgery, which is so great. But I want to go to something that happened that I don't... Jeffrey, I don't think people believe, but you're in the industry and I follow and, and talk to you closely. There are actually major procedures that some regard as elective, but I think you and I might have thought were necessary, who literally held back during the pandemic, and they're coming back now, it's kind of like you're a great reopening trade. How is that possible? Well, look, it surprised us, too, uh, that, you know, like, they, they we're called elective procedures, right? But uh, as you were saying, I don't think stroke, when you're, when you're suffering from a stroke, I don't consider that very elective or, or a heart attack. And even the therapies for those two procedures were down at the, at the height of the pandemic. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we do have things that are uh, more elective, like obesity surgery uh, or endovenous surgery for varicose veins. So, so those on the more elective side. Um, and but you know we are seeing all of those accelerate, especially in the United States, since the, uh, the vaccinations hit an inflection point. Uh, patients got the confidence, hospitals had the confidence, and we're opening up, and we're getting back to near pre-COVID levels. Jeffrey, I don't think people understand some of the revolutionary things uh, you are doing. The research going into robotics. The research going into the brain, the pull away and decision that you're going to reclaim the diabetes markets. I'll give you any one of those three or all three to talk about. Well, well, thanks for that opening. Yeah. Yeah. So we are seeing uh, more opportunities today than we've seen uh, in memory. Uh, and because because overall advancements in technology, medical technology is has an opportunity to transform healthcare. You talked about robotics. Uh, we just launched outside of the U.S. our soft tissue robot that will compete against Intuitive. But as we, you and I have talked about, we've had our spine robot out there for a number of years now. And we're really seeing the impact of this. And talking to spine surgeons over the last couple of months, you know, the combination of robotics and imaging and navigation all wrapped around. And now data and AI, we just added a, uh, an, AI, an artificial intelligence planning software uh, to plan the, the spine procedure, have the robot executed precisely, and then we're able to follow up and examine the images and access the uh, image system in hospital called the PAC system directly. We're getting you know phenomenal outcomes, uh, way better than the past in spine. I think we're poised to transform. And, and finally, I'll, I, I can't uh, take. I have to take the bait on the brain. Uh, it's it is a white space. The brain, central nervous system, and healthcare. And uh, we continue to launch. We talked about deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's disease and other neurological conditions. Continue to launch new cutting-edge technology that is, can listen to signals in the central nervous system and then adjust the therapy. And we just launched a cl- clinical trial for Parkinson's to close the loop and adjust the therapy specific to that patient. Uh, so very exciting, uh, very exciting opportunities across the medical technology space. Again, I want to explain to people before Medtronic got involved with brainstem, the procedure had been, uh, for instance, at UCSF, where they put a chip in your head and you've got literally prongs hanging out of your head. And that is unacceptable. 95% uh, success rate, meaning 5% fatality, unacceptable to the American people. Uh, I think that you have... To some degree, as you know, and I'm not being too critical, but falling behind Abbott Labs, Glucose Monitor uh, uh, for Libra, falling behind Dexcom. Uh, that's not the way Medtronic likes to handle things. When will you take take back this category? Sure, Jim. You know, we are gaining share across the majority of our portfolio, but we like to call balls and strikes. And one area that we've fallen behind is diabetes, uh, specifically in the in the glucose monitoring 
uh, area, but we've doubled down uh, about two, you know, about 18 months ago, we doubled down our investment in spine, I'm sorry, in diabetes, including uh, bringing in Blackstone to help with that. And we're seeing the benefit of that. We just launched over the last couple of months, our new pump system in Europe, right? This is our latest pump system with our new sensor and our extended wear infusion set. So all the peripherals around it now can last longer, longer seven days. That's the longest in the, in the industry. And we are getting phenomenal feedback uh, from patients on the usability, but also the, the best uh, clinical outcomes in the industry. Now, time and range as they measure it, you know, how often that patient is in their, uh, the, the acceptable ranges of their blood glucose. And so that's in Europe that we have to get that in the United States and, and, and it's pending FDA approval, but that's a leading indicator that we're on our way back. Yes, that's exactly where Abbott started. And I think that uh, I happen to think the world of Abbott as you do. But you know what? Competition is good. Healthcare professionals always in your wheelhouse. You have 70 conditions in the human body that you address. Yesterday, in a very overlooked announcement, Alphabet's division opened up a really, really important initiative trying to be able to figure out with HCA, which is a prominent partner of Medtronic, Something right. that would give you the empirical data, which would say, basically, well, you ought to use this Medtronic product, that Medtronic. Will you be involved in what I think is the most revolutionary behind the scenes depiction of what can be done between artificial intelligence and medicine? Look, you're hitting on a huge theme here. You know, we're calling it data enabled therapies. It, the use of data and then artificial intelligence uh, has the opportunity to transform. So we, we, we're very proud of the fact in Medtronic that we serve 80 million patients every year. But that is a fraction of the world's population. Data and I could take that to 800 million in the next couple of years. And we spend a lot of time. We've got data that's like gold coming um, from our uh, devices, whether it be uh, a, a chronic condition like a cardiac uh, condition, uh, one of our pacemakers or implantable defibrillators, or one of our neuromodulation implants. We're getting... Uh, very valuable, sensitive and specific uh, data from patients. And then we also have a lot of unique data in the hospital around the surgical procedures. And this data is gold, and we plan to mine that gold. And there will be partnerships, uh, you know, whether it be with big tech companies like Google or, or, or Microsoft, et cetera, as well as with large heart health systems. So I think you're going to see more of this. Medtronic, we're in the middle of this, uh, given the amount of data we have and just how, how high the fidelity of that data and the impact it'll have is lower cost and more access. Well, look, I want to thank you. First of all, as you know, I'm chief spokesperson for the uh, American Migraine Foundation. Oh. Your neuromodulation business, it's breakthrough. People think that no one can figure out the brain. Medtronic can. I want to thank you, uh, Jeffrey, for coming on uh, from Squawk on the Street. Just keep doing that great work. You're really saving a lot of people's right. lives. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for your support. Absolutely. Carl. Jim, good stuff. Uh, Dow's up 247. We're back after a quick break. Jim, uh, you've got quite a show tonight. Yeah, it's time to bring it. You know, it's kind of like the old Ed Sullivan show. It's a really big show. Mark Benioff, Dow Stock, Dirk Vanderpoot. Hey, Dirk Vanderpoot, by the way, David, the Ose Chew Cookie uh, Candy. I'm going to get you hooked on that. Laura Albert with a complete blowout quarter. We have to find out how Enrique's doing because HP is the backbone of the work at home. And, and Sonia single with a Gap Walmart deal. I'm, oh, I'm breaking for him. Wow, what a what an amazing every night. I don't know if it gets you any ratings, but it's a heck of a line. <laughs> Who the heck cares? Yeah, I'm learning more than anybody else in the world with this stuff. Heck of a. So line. I'm very excited about it, Carl. It's just and David, David, no SPAC CEOs. No, good. No, real CEOs. No, real CEOs. Yeah, I just thought companies. it was good to have. 
Yeah. And no Coinbase. I mean, I know you want that. Oh, yeah. You know I want that. This is about... Uh, uh, for the, for this the kids. Is, look at this, will you? It's for the kids. Look at that. Look at Just this. keep it up all day. I mean, I it's will. incredible. Believe By the way, me. Enrique Lori used to come on with us occasionally, I remember, but you took him. Yeah, of course I did. Yeah. Dirk Vandeput, he's been on other shows. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've had Sarah Eisen's, but you took him. I went out yeah. with, I tried to go out with the person who ran Tate's um, when it was another regime. And yes. That was a disaster. Malamar's still the best cookie. She, in the she world. said, just like the cookies, Jim. Malamar's. Malamar's. Thank you, guys. Eventually, Jim, um, your promo is just going to be uh, the S&P 500 is our guest. Well, uh, 500 the, CEOs tonight. Just at the six. good part. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Love it. We'll see you tonight. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.